One of the main ingredients in our product line, Saffron, has been proven over and over again in clinical double-blind placebo trials to be an effective form of treatment for depression, anxiety, and ADHD. Saffron has been used by many cultures for thousands of years for these purposes, and now the research is here to finally back it up, proving that plant medicines and ancient healing practices can actually be an effective alternative to pharmaceuticals. From caffeine-free latte powders to saffron baths and capsules, there's something for any modern woman looking for ancient healing. Again, that's code the fullest podcast at checkout for 15% off. I hope you enjoy your new daily saffron ritual. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick. And today we're sitting here with Isla Cuenca, who's a childbirth educator, a doula, and she's a health freedom advocate. It's so wonderful to connect with you. Just from the moment we um, connected online, I was really looking forward to having this conversation. I I just really believe, you know, it all starts with when we're in the womb and even before that. So it's really wonderful to connect with someone who is immersed in the type of work that you're in and educating others. And you have trainings, you're doing so much. So I know it's called Uncovering Birth, um, your trainings and what the platform you're bringing forward. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how you ended up in this field of work. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. It's wonderful to connect. I'm glad we could make it happen. You know, the way that I got into this work was doing guardian at litem work. Um, about nine years ago was when I was doing that work where I was basically, for those who don't know what it is, the way that I was um, trained to do it was to go into foster homes and I would get assigned a case with a specific child and I would have to visit with them in their home and um, basically write a report and submit that to a judge and to the court and, you know, to either say this, you know, this is my assessment. I think that there is a relocation in need or everything is good or, you know, whatever the case may be. And so as I was doing that work, it was really heavy. It was really intense to see a lot of the things that I saw and was experiencing and started to reflect on like, what is the solution? Like, it's not getting more guardian at litems to come and do this work. It's not pouring money into like improving the foster system. Like this goes back, this goes back to conception. This goes back to the birth experience. This goes back to offering support and education to women so that a network can be built. I mean, this is just one element, but I saw that just kind of piling more money and doing this more band-aid approach to this was not where I wanted to be. I wanted to be in a place where I was offering support and education to women from the beginning. And so that's how I transitioned into the field of birth. Wow. I had no idea that you were in that system. I just have so much to say about that <laughs> as well. I'm so curious, just your experience um, there with people, you know, because I mean, your report was essentially the basis of like whether a judge was going to keep a child in the home, right? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was definitely a factor, right? And so, um, the input was 
relevant. I wouldn't say that it would make or break the child's future, but it was relevant. And so there were many situations where I would go into the home and basically I could tell when families would kind of dress it up, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, just because they knew I was coming. And intuitively, like all women, we have this, this, this sixth sense, right, of the child speaking to us in a certain way, non-verbally. And I could feel that sometimes when I would work with these children where it was like, I don't feel safe here. You know, I could feel their systems in overdrive, um, in survival. And sometimes I would be able to assess that there was something else going on. And um, I would I would suggest further inquiry into the situation. And sometimes we would find things that were not so wonderful to find, you know, so Yes, it was powerful work. Yes, it's essential work, but it is hard work to do. And I know anyone who works in, in children and families, law and court and in that arena can attest to that. Gosh, so, so deep. Um, but yeah, I mean, I always wonder, like, in a situation like that, is it better to remove a child? Like, how bad does it have to be to really be like, okay, there's no repair that's possible here, you know, or there's like sexual abuse or there's a lot of, you know, I mean, cause you're working in trauma, right? Like what you're doing now too, you're working to support women and families and recovering from trauma. So I'm curious, like at what point is it better to keep a family intact or to, put a child in the system? You know, that's difficult because when a child is with their nuclear family, regardless of like what we perceive to be right or wrong, or like what's essential for them, you know, what we think is best from our outside perspective, you know, it's very nuanced. I think that sometimes it really is about the child not being separated from the mother. Um, you know, there's good enough parenting happening. However, there were situations where, the child was exposed to drug use, was exposed to volatile and physical violence, right? And so there has, there is a breaking point that comes and that's why, you know, it is hard. Some random person like me comes in, makes an assessment. I don't know the background. I don't understand. I just see what I see from a perspective of is the child safe or not? And sometimes I would say, oh God, like I would not want my child in this situation. However, they're not really in harm's way. Is it the health? Is it what I perceive to be the healthiest dynamic? No, (laughs) but they're not being harmed physically. Um, So I would make those notes in my assessments, you know, and I would say, I don't perceive this to be um, healthy on an emotional level, um, but there is no obvious abuse in place. Right. So my gosh. Yeah. Wild. So then, okay. Then you found yourself wanting to get to a place where hopefully you were preventing situations like that from taking place. Right. Right. Um, I read, you know, you've attended 200 births. Is that right? I, that's like the, that's like the number that we've figured out. I would like to, at some point, sit down and go through all my clients and (laughs) add it up. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's our, that's our guesstimate at this point. And then, um, yeah, when did, you know, when did you start to launch Uncovering Birth? When did you, you know, get to the space where you felt like there was just more to your offering? 
I would say that it was probably in 2015 um, that I started to see the impact that the doula support was having, right? And it was kind of like isolated. It was like, I'm having impact on one woman, her family, this child. And then I started to, to ask myself, how can I, because I would see reactions from like the in-laws, like the mother-in-law, right? Or her own mother. And she would recount her birth experience just from being in the space for my client's birth. And so I said, hmm, there's like an, there's a bigger opportunity here. I want to reach more people. I want to educate more people. And so that's when I certified to become a Bradley Method childbirth educator. And I said, well, I can get 20 people into my living room. I can like pack them in like sardines and we can start like kind of on this grassroots level of just, you know, inviting like your mom to come to your birth class with you, you know, bringing your husband, bringing your best friend. And then that's when I started to see that birth relates to everyone. Like even women who don't want to have children, even men, even, you know, someone who's passed their childbearing years because everybody has been born. And if we can go back to that origin story and see it differently, we can unlock a lot. So I'd say that was when I decided to start teaching classes. And like I said, it was in my living room. And then I was working out of a doctor's office. And then I was working at a yoga studio. Like I found all these spaces all over South Florida and Miami to start teaching. And then I, I got everything online. And now I have clients in many different countries, different parts of the world. And I said, okay, there's only one of me and there's a huge deficit in the way doulas are trained. Like there's a huge deficit in doula trainings because there's a lot out there. Do I think that they are offering what I feel should be offered? No. <laughs> and so I, I designed my own training and, um, and that's really what I'm focused on now is helping, guiding women just into their natural gift, which is, you know, being a space holder, being a fountain of wisdom, you know, fine tuning their intuition and alchemizing with other women. Beautiful. Yeah. I love that you said everyone, you know, we're, we've all been born. So we all have that birth trauma imprinted in us. And, and I've done a lot of that work on myself and with my children. And it's been so profound. And I've seen how it can shift my life today when I'm aware of, you know, the way I was born, for example, like I was vacuumed out of my mom. Wow. So okay. that kind of gave me the story of I need help and I can't do it by myself. And like those types, just being aware of that doesn't mean, you know, you're this way and you're going to be this way forever. But I think just having that awareness of how my story unfolded and how it can apply to difficult situations that I've experienced in my life and how, and how I've handled them. Like it's so beautiful and so freeing when you start to actually dig in and then be aware and then try and do things a little differently or push yourself in a different way. Sure. Uh, I love that you put that together. A lot of people, when we talk about rebirthing or, you know, healing our own birth experience. They don't realize that it's not just about going to the isolated event and unpacking it. It's about examining our patterns throughout mm -hmm. our lifetime, right? Like, why do I always return to this default pattern? Or why do I deal with situations this way? Like, where did I learn this? And sometimes it's not about the environment. It comes from this for you, for me as well, being born with forceps. It was a moment in my life, a juncture where I had to make a decision to survive 
And in that moment, I was guided out without me really having to do it. And so it did, it did impact my capacity. And it wasn't until my early 30s that I figured that out, right? Yeah. And so in terms of your doula training, what, I mean, a lot of different trainings, when we go back to talking about yoga training, like I was in a yoga training program or a decade ago or more. And a lot of these different trainings, it's about working on yourself, right? Before going on to support others. So I'm curious, like if someone wanted to start um, or is interested in the field of work that you're offering in terms of becoming a doula and tapping in, like you said, it's all about tapping into your own intuition and knowing that like you're connected and you can sense that and be that support for another woman like what sorts of things go into this training that can support women in tapping into themselves. Right. Yes, exactly. So we have the two tracks. We have understanding birth, understanding conception, birth, postpartum, like the the practicality of being a birth worker, Um, the anatomical components, right, of the process. And then the other half of the training is the self-reflection. And it starts out really gentle with just inquiry, I would say, like, okay, if we're looking at a client in this situation, you know, how would you personally respond to this? So the first exercise we do is understanding the difference between empathy and sympathy, um, understanding how we listen to our friends. So one of the exercises is in your next conversation with a girlfriend, I want you to before you start talking, before you sit down to drink your tea together, whatever it is, and she's going to share something, ask her, are you available for my feedback or do you just want to vent? Right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of women have a hard time saying like, oh no, like, of course I'm always there for whatever she wants. And it's like, well, are you really, are you actually energetically available to listen to someone and not give your feedback? And in giving your feedback, are you trying to fix your friend? Are you becoming a savior? Are you becoming a please, like a people pleaser, right? Are you, are you fawning? Are you kind of saying, oh yeah, that was really terrible just because you want her to feel connected to you, right? Like what are all the ways in which you're receiving information and reflecting it back? So that's the first like self-examination that we do when it comes to how we engage and relate, because then that impacts the way you start to take accountability and it impacts the way that we interact with our clients you know, our potential clients eventually, right? What is the motivation behind this exchange? And so that's where women in the training start to, they, they step into the examination of their relationships and how they take accountability, how they stay authentic and where they draw boundaries or don't draw boundaries, right? Um, so by the end of it, you know, women have processed their birth, women have, reimagine their relationships with their own mothers, (laughs) but women have, you know, made decisions about their romantic relationships. I mean, I've gotten so much feedback about what happens on the other end of, on the other side of this training. And, um, and then of course you walk away with the certificate to hold space as a doula, but now (laughs) you have a completely different relationship with yourself. And that's, for me, the most important part, because healing the collective is an inside job where you first heal your own. 
your own body, your own mind, your own spirit. And then you can walk forward and start to make an impact out in society. I think that's so important what you're saying, because you are coming into someone else's birth and you want to be a clear vessel to not bring your own shit into it so that they can, you know, obviously we all bring aspects of ourselves and we're called to it. And I think sometimes we call in those specific people who've had a specific story to come into our birth too. I mean, we can like go super philosophical, but like, but how much of it, um, do you think can affect, I mean, can affect another person's birth? Well, I think the doula and the client, like on a different level, elect each other, whether it was like a turbulent or unpleasant experience, right? There is information there that both of them needed, wanted, right? It's like I had a student uh, like two years ago in the doula training and she gave feedback to the group or said, you know, I worked with my client and, you know, turns out that they wanted a refund after the birth didn't go the way that they wanted. And they felt that the doula was responsible for that. And so she said, what do I do? You know, do I offer the refund? And so we ended up doing, we ended up workshopping that with the group. And really what it came down to was her belief system around, am I worthy of actually receiving money for the work that I do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It had like nothing to do with the birth or like, did the baby pass meconium and then did the C-section happen or did it not? It was really like, let's focus in on the belief that brought you to this place, which is that you don't, you know, you don't actually believe that offering this work merits financial support in return. And what is that? And so once we got through that, she was resistant at first, but then she saw clearly like, oh yeah, I don't actually believe that leaving my software engineering job was going to be as lucrative. And so I'm still holding on to that software engineering job. And I don't believe that this is really going to bring. So we workshopped that. And then she was in deep gratitude for that client. And when she got to that place of deep gratitude, the client actually wrote to her with like unprovoked and said, you know, I've reflected on it. And even though it didn't go the way that I wanted, you were still there for me. And like, we don't need the refund. (laughs) So she, you know, like these really beautiful things happen. And what this doula had was our container to alchemize that, Mm -hmm. which is what I feel many uh, doula trainings lack, right? Which is this intimate container. You know, we're live, we're together. It's not pre-recorded. I cap it at 10 people (laughs) every time. And that is like the little cauldron that we're in together because she could have gone on and said, I'm not even going to do birth work anymore because I can't deal with this. Right. But once she took responsibility and saw how she could be actually be in gratitude for this lesson, it shifted, you know, and now she has a successful business, but it took confronting that kind of belief that like, Oh, I'm not actually worthy of receiving money to do this kind of work. If you haven't discovered Zuria yet, you're in for a great experience. Just like people say, their line of natural products are as intentional in their production as they are effortless in their practice. The fountain of youth is real and it's so true. I love their products so much. I love their products, their treatments. They're 100% natural, botanically potent. Everything is handcrafted and all of it is deeply rooted in Ayurveda. Marta, who is Surya's visionary, put decades of dedication in crafting this healing skincare line. Some products use 45 herbs, 10 oils, 
goat's milk, camel's milk. She infuses it all with her mantras, moonlight, and love. You genuinely feel the care and devotion in every drop, the same as if you've ever had the chance to visit Surya. Two Surya therapists working in perfect synchrony with body oils brewed just for you. It's honestly transformative. I really love that the balancing face oil and balancing collagen cream, which my husband also uses with me, they use them during their treatments. It's exactly what you can get for daily care at home. They also have healing three pound bath soaks, body oils that calm you, cool you, or energize you. And they're incredible almond flour breads like gingered peach and turmeric at air one or online. Surya is a wonderful world. I also love their discovery set, which is great for gifting. It's got the cream, the oils, some all natural lip therapy, and a special Kansa wand to apply it all. If you don't know what I'm talking about with the Kansa wand, you'll definitely want to check this out. It's so, so nice when you use it on your skin after applying the oil and the cream. Surya is the real deal. Their inner and outer beauty. I love it so much. I stand by every product that they make and I'm just excited to share it with you guys. I've incorporated it in my daily routine for over five years now and I'm so happy to partner with them and know them and I know you'll love it too. And I think that happens probably a lot in this line of work because I think that women have been told that I don't know. Like I've heard that a lot, at least that, oh, doulas are expensive. Oh, I don't need a doula. My husband's going to be my doula. But there's (laughs) your husband. I mean, you know, to each their own. But I'm always like, yes, your husband can be there and be a beautiful support system for you. But like a doula, especially for first time, you know, moms, I feel like, yeah, I'm curious what you say to that. If someone asks you, obviously, you know, you come from a different um, space where obviously you believe in the work that doulas bring forward. But I, as someone who has had doulas at both of my births, I can't imagine not having that level of support. And my husband's been there the entire time, hands on. Yeah. I mean, just to the first point you made, that is feedback about doula work is like, oh, they're, you know, it's expensive. It's not essential. It's, you know, we could do it without. And I think a lot of doulas subconsciously also believe like doulas and clients, people in general believe this is like, this is like humanitarian work. This is work to support women. This should be free. This should be part of like the package. Why do I have to pay for this? And I get that. Historically, women didn't have to pay for it. We were, we were in a setup in, in a, in a cultural fabric where it was just built in to the way women birthed. That's not the case anymore. Now we have to recruit people who are specialized in this to support us because our neighbor doesn't know what's going on. Our sister doesn't know how to do it. You know, our mom, you know, it's like there's too much of a, there's too much there, right? Sometimes there's too much baggage with our own family members. And so we want this neutral support person who can hold the space, who has the knowledge, who can kind of fill in all the gaps. And so when people say, oh, you know, my best friend is going to be there. She's really into birth or my husband's going to be there. I would say there's sometimes too much of an emotional tie. It's kind of like too close. 
And we have to remember that the husband is having his own experience as a father, his own birth experience. And so to expect that he's going to hold space as a woman would is unrealistic. And I mean, my, the father of my daughter, he was an incredible support, you know, and I loved having his, him there, his presence there. But there were many times that I just said, I, I need a, I want a woman here. Like my midwife, midwives are not support people. They're not doulas. They're medical professionals. They can step in and offer nurturing words of support from time to time, but that's not their role. And my, you know, my ex-husband didn't want to do it because he's an incredibly private person. And I was like, okay, you know, there was almost like a compromise, like we'll do a home birth, but no doula, just us. And so I was like, okay. And, you know, and I knew. And so when I was in the birth, I was, I just remember repeating, like, I just need to look into a woman's eyes. Like I needed, I need the feminine reflected back to me. You know, and um, I remember having that feeling. And so I would say, you know, if it's something that you you feel like is out of reach for you because of the cost or whatever it is, like it is so much more of a worthwhile investment to get childbirth education, have a doula, have the birth that you want versus all these little things like we ask for at a baby shower, right? We think like, okay, I need like the little socks and the mittens and the like Bluetooth, whatever, and the camera, like all of those expenses that once you get to the newborn stage, you realize I didn't need 80% of the stuff, that money could be allocated to support you having your ideal birth experience with real life support from human beings. And then once the baby comes, week by week, you start saying like, oh, it would be really cool for us to have that one thing. We could use it. You'll start to learn your baby, know your baby. And at that point, that's when you can start trickling things in that are actually going to serve you. But to like, you know, so I'm just saying this is a way that some women can can still have that, you know. Um, but it's all about priorities at the end of the day. I completely agree. I feel like, like you said, like people just don't know what's going on. And the only thing that our society has taught people is to just hoard a bunch of newborn stuff, half of which, like you said, most of which you don't need. You don't even need a crib, but that's a whole nother thing. Like you really just don't need much. And then, yeah, instead of like spending all that money on the after like clothes, you can just spend it on the actual birth process and the support and even aftercare for women, the postpartum support that the women is going to need, the woman is going to need. And then one by one, yeah, buying it as you go when you need it is actually like such a better idea. And there's this, I don't know if you've heard of Little Honey Money. Mm -mm. but it's this platform actually that's really cool and women can go on and instead of um it's kind of like one of those registers it's a baby registry but it's like for the mom to yeah. use so yeah. you, you know if you were on there then they could pay for let me oh, wow. you, yeah. but it would be like maybe one of your doulas um, yeah. or you specifically if you're still seeing patients and they could like pay for a doula. They could pay for their postpartum Ayurvedic massage that I, you know, I always recommend people or whatever it is. Like, I think that's the level of care that we need to remind women that they need that. Yes. In today's world is a luxury. And unfortunately we do need to pay for, but it shouldn't be a luxury. And the more we normalize it, then 
the more people are going to prioritize it, like you said, and then we can go on to hopefully eventually having it covered by insurance or having people offer that as a way, Hey, you know, instead of like necessarily buying a stroller and a crib right away, I'll pay for your doula. I'll pay for your postpartum support. And you're probably not going to use the stroller right away. You can carry your baby in a baby carrier for a good amount of time. Cause like they want to be with you. Right. They want you right. to hold like, so I'll- that asks women to also make an honest assessment of the kind of parenting they're interested in participating in. Not just like, oh, you know, this is what my friend said I should do, or this is what I read online. Like really take the time to, you know, if you meet with a doula just for one session, a prenatal session, she could support you in figuring out like, do I want to practice attachment parenting? You know, do I like, what kind of postpartum experience do I want to have? You know, and some people might say like, oh my, you know, my mom's going to come by, you know, twice a week and help me. And it's like, well, what's your relationship like with your mother? Is that something that is going to benefit you in this time? Or would it be better to invest some funds into a neutral party where the person comes, they don't have opinions about how you do things. They're just there to support you. Right. So there's a lot to look at and and it is, unfortunately, it is this way now. We're just not, like I said, we're living in a different society and it is a matter of priorities. And you mentioned the word luxury because one of my students recently in the, the current doula training, she said she owns a daycare company. And she said, you know, I have so many clients where it's just a luxury for them to like do a childbirth class. It's like a luxury to like take 20 minutes a day to do prenatal exercises. And I said, well, what's 20 minutes a day? Can we make an assessment on how much a woman is, you know, scrolling on TikTok, for example? Um, you know, does she need to be watching The Real Housewives of Dubai, you know, for an hour? Like, do, like, can we just look at the ways in which she's using her time? And so when she gives the, the, the example or the excuse that like, you know, doing a birth class is a luxury or working with my body or cooking a meal is a luxury, well, let's just assess how else you're spending your time. And then we can really make, you know, we can make a, a, an evaluation of where your priorities are. And I know that like some people that feels very affronting. However, parenting becomes so much more easy when you understand your boundaries, your needs, your desires, what you're willing to do and not willing to do. And if it is watching the Real Housewives of Dubai, because that's what gives you pleasure, then say, I'm forfeiting doing something for my body so that I can zone out and do this. And that's totally fine. But don't say later, I don't have time because we, we have time. Mm -hmm. We do. Yeah. We just choose to spend it differently. Mm -hmm. I love that. I, I really think that it is so important to also know that people are going to make their own decisions and you can't change that. And if they want your feedback to give it to them, but if otherwise there are so many other areas during the process that you can support people. So I, I really highly recommend everyone have a doula and try and get one as, and like we were talking about, try to allow yourself to have the support, like to allow yourself to receive and be educated one-on-one because that's also such a beautiful experience and and my mom like my mom didn't have that right my mom just found herself in a hospital like I don't even I think in the 90s I don't even know if men were allowed and I don't even know like my dad came in the room like at the end she just was 
laying on a bed, just doing whatever she was told to do. Right. Whereas in my situation, I came into it like, I don't want this. I don't want this. I know this. Don't do this. Like all of these things that came with a list. Now, when you work with a doula, you can have a list that you go to the hospital with you with. Yeah. Yeah. You can have, you know, your options, right? I always say, if you don't know your options, you don't have any, right? And so your mom in her situation might've had a lot of things done to her, but she didn't know. So Mm -hmm. she might've just been like, that was not a pleasant experience and I'm not really sure why. And I don't know what they gave me. A lot of women say they gave me something, but I don't really remember what it was. And I think to myself, how can you not remember? Like, and now because we're learning more, there's more access to information, right? With phones and the internet. But I would, I just want everyone, I want to caution everyone, like doulas are not childbirth educators. Like Mm -hmm. it's a unique situation for me because I just happened to be a trained childbirth educator and I developed my own childbirth education method. And in my class, it's really like a little crash course in interventions. One of the things that we spend an entire module on is understanding the most common interventions in a hospital and in a home birth. So that the woman and the husband who take the class together, they feel like, oh, okay, I understand induction, the greater picture of induction. We talk about Cytotec, we talk about Cervidil, we talk about Pitocin, we talk about the Foley bulb, you know, which is a non-drug induction method. So we talk about all those things and people say, wow, like I had an anesthesiologist in one of my classes and he was the husband of of the woman, obviously. And he said, I like, this is stuff I learned about in medical school and it was never explained to me like this. I didn't understand that these induction drugs could have this side effect on the baby. Right. Like it's, it's, it's kind of talked about, like there are side effects, but we don't, we don't even understand how induction can impact breastfeeding. So that's what I like to tie together. And so my doulas understand this, but they're not necessarily, I would say, trained to teach their own class, but they will be able (laughs) to reflect this back to a woman one-on-one. And that's where I think a lot of trainings are also lacking is that it's, it's kind of like, this is just about holding the woman through her process And it's like, okay, well, how can you hold the woman through her process? Like when she needs to also understand what's happening to her body and why things are being suggested, you know, this is not just about a rebozo and like some (laughs) massage techniques and about making a birth plan and tying a bow on it. Like we have to get kind of to the nitty gritty of, okay, we're going to go into the hospital system. Does does your client know that her nurse is going to change shifts at 7 p.m. and then again at 7 a.m., that she's going to build a bond with someone and then they're going to be gone? Can you prepare her for that? Does she know, you know, that if she gets an epidural, she's going to have a catheter, a urinary catheter? You know, have you explained that to her? So there's a lot of realities of the birth experience that are not discussed. And then women, even with their doula, feel blindsided. Yeah, I've had both home birth and hospital birth. And I'm like, I cannot believe the difference. Um, but yeah, just going back to feeling connected with the nurse and then having them leave and then feeling nervous about, cause you like that nurse and you were so happy and then feeling nervous about the next one. And then realizing all these new things that you didn't even know about because the new nurse found out about it and the old nurse didn't tell you like so many things. So they're definitely, but you know, some situations are high risk and being in a hospital is the best option at that time. And that's. And, and just- even so you can still be high risk and have a really positive birth experience, but that comes with adequate support and education. 
So just because you're high risk doesn't mean you can't have a doula. Just because you have a doula doesn't mean you shouldn't take a childbirth class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so many good things. I just have one last question. Yeah. Okay. So what are your thoughts on using castor oil and membrane sweeping for induction before 42 weeks? <laughs> I love this very specific question. <laughs> because like, I mean, you know, I think that just being in the space where I'm around so many home birthing professionals and all this stuff, so many people have different ways of... Um, yeah. So, okay, I'm going to go down a little list here. The reason I don't prefer castor oil for induction is because castor oil is a laxative. So what I have personally seen is that when a woman takes that, the baby will typically pass meconium also, right? So the woman is exposed to a laxative, the baby's exposed to a laxative, the baby poops in the womb, and now you've created a high-risk scenario for yourself, right? So for me, castor oil is like a last resort scenario. And, you know, and just to be clear, like just, just because it's not a drug doesn't mean that it's the safest thing to do sometimes. Mm -hmm. Right. A lot of women have come to me because there's this like hype going around or like maybe a rumor. I'm not sure what the term is. Misinformation. I don't know that women should start pumping while they're still pregnant to reserve colostrum in case they can't produce it after the birth. Unfortunately, what's not explained to them is that pumping is probably the best way to induce your labor, (laughs) right? And so I've seen women like, you know, in this kind of fear space, you know, we're, we're, we're a culture that's really big on insurance policies, right? So it's like, how can I prepare for this and avert crisis by taking these steps? So they start to pump to get colostrum and freeze it, and then they can actually disrupt the natural process of their labor unfolding. They can go into premature labor, which is dangerous. And sometimes they can start labor, then it's false labor, and then they go to the hospital and then they say, oh, you're, you know, you're 36 weeks, there's an issue here, we need to keep you, and it can get complicated. So I would say you don't need, women historically did not start pumping colostrum before yeah. their birth and then like storing it somehow, like it's not necessary. Yeah. Um, and just ask yourself, why am I in this fear space? Um, And then there's membrane sweeps, right? So sometimes they'll do a vaginal exam, you know, after your due date where, you know, it's a little bit more intense. It's a little bit more, I would say, aggressive um, where they're going to agitate the membranes, right? The amniotic sac to see if that can jumpstart the labor. Unfortunately, what can happen with that is sometimes they'll rupture the bag of the the amniotic sac and it can release the woman's water. And now she's on a ticking clock, where she needs to go into actual labor within 12 hours. Otherwise, they're going to suggest antibiotics. And then she has to make a choice of receiving antibiotics or not. And then she has to be in the hospital. And now everything's changed. So I say, you know, work with a provider who has a really deep confidence of birth, understanding the natural unfolding and saying, hey, if you go to 42 weeks, it's all good. All we're going to do is just listen to the baby, check things out. If baby sounds good, let's just keep going day by day until baby arrives. That's really the kind of like practitioner you want to work with, not someone who's in this more alarmist space of like, well, just telling you now, if it's six days past your due date, I'm not letting you go 
any further. You're going to have to get an induction, right? So now you're in this constricted kind of black and white space with your provider and it's not a good place to be in. Um, and so someone who's going to suggest breast pumping, walking barefoot in the grass, um, sexual intercourse, all of these other gentle, safe ways to jumpstart labor before going to these more extreme routes like castor oil, <laughs> Pitocin, Cervidil, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you want to work with a doula who, who can offer feedback on that. And so again, what kind of a doula are you working with? What kind of a midwife are you working with? What kind of an OB are you working with? My gosh, you're just such a wealth of information. Thank you so much for joining us. And please let people know how they can connect with you. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm on Instagram, Ayla Cuenca Birth. And um, we have two websites, alacuenca.com and uncoveringbirth.com. And so on Uncovering Birth is where all of our offerings are. Um, and we have the doula training twice a year. We have an incre- incredible foundations course. So even if you're just like, I don't know anything about birth, I just want to learn, the foundations course is a great place to just get this deep knowledge. And, you know, if you want to conceive, the, the foundations course is great as well. Um, if you're postpartum... Those pregnant can take your foundations course. Anytime. Yeah, any anytime. Like the course is really set up for any time on your journey. And even women who are postpartum and want to understand their birth more intimately will take the foundations course as a way to help process their experience. So we have a lot of offerings there and we're a small operation. We're always available to offer reflections and feedback and we can find something for you wherever you are on your journey. Thank you so much. It's so wonderful to chat with you and hopefully we can connect again soon. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you for having me.